Hello and welcome to episode 236 of the Waters Waveland podcast. I am your host, Patient. And as usual, I've got Tony with me here today. Hey, T, how's it going? It's going great. Uh, just listening to, I found out today, uh, I just found out a little bit before we started talking that uh, Lord has uh, a new single out. And uh, so I listened to that. It's awesome. It's got this kind of, you know, 80s Mellencamp country, good summer vibe feeling going to it. And then uh, the the album cover is outrageous, but I don't think I'm allowed to talk about that here. So maybe it's just best if we just stick to, uh, you know, market data and trading technology. <laughs> I just looked at the album cover up and mm, wow. Yeah. Solar power. Yeah. Indeed. Solar power. Can't <laughs> wait for that album to come out. But this first single is outstanding, but let's just switch over to more professional topics. <laughs> <laughs> well, so this week we actually uh, published like three, actually, yeah, three major stories, right? Yeah. Why don't you yeah, tell so us a little bit about the, the, the latest one that came out, actually. We'll start with Max's. Max's, yes. Um, so, yes, this week we've had... Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and so we're recording this late on Wednesday, but um, we've had three outstanding, awesome, deep-dive looks, and so we're going to discuss them. First off, Max's 4,000-word opus on ESG and specifically ESG consolidation. Essentially, the as if you've been following the ESG data vendor space at all, you know that there's been a ton of consolidation. I can't, I mean, with uh, Morningstar's been buying up, Facts that's been buying up, S&P's been buying up, I, I think MSCI's been in there, some exchanges, just a lot of different um, acquisitions. I just, I don't know off the top of my head, Max gets into them in the article. Mm. But, you know, for me, the, so I'm not going to get into really the whole you, know, you can read the article about what this means and everything like that. But the most interesting takeaway I will say is this. Um, it seems to me like the asset management community talked to a bunch of different asset managers, and it seems to me like they like this consolidation um, because what this allows that. So, you know, a fact set goes and buys uh, that, that true value, I think it was uh, that they bought. Um, what that allows FactSet to do is take what True Value has, and essentially they can integrate that with their with their own internal market data, research, all their other stuff that they have, um, and that's just that's the important thing is that so rather than uh, a buy side firm having to go around and piece together these things, you know, kind of standardize it and shoehorn it into kind of what they're working with. Um, this consolidation takes out kind of that middleman of it and they don't have to do that work fat tech can do all that and then provide them with here's our total you know here's your market data here's your research here's everything all connected together as well as you know you have open facts at uh their the alternative data uh place and this, this isn't just facts obviously it's it's smp's doing the same thing uh, like i say morning that everybody's in the space is going at this so i was surprised by that because i thought all the consolidation it would be bad it's like okay it's just you know you're just kind of creating these behemoths and I don't know, is there any real differentiation if all there are, are four major providers? 
but the other thing to remember is there's so much money going into the space that I think that they uh, he said something like a third of all investments are going to be tied to ESG and sustainability. Um, it was a Bloomberg report that said a third of all investments will be tied into like ESG and sustainability. So there's always going to be new vendors populating the space. So consolidation is going to keep on happening, but that doesn't mean that there isn't going to be that there aren't isn't going to be unique data offerings. Um, we wrote recently about NGO data and stuff like that coming out around uh, the NGO space. So there'll always be those kind of niche things that you can go out and incorporate into your things. But for your overall ESG portfolio, this is actually a good thing right now, with the caveat being this. If you have just a bunch, like an oligarchy of ESG providers, like you have four major ESG providers and there's you know, no one, you know, you have to go to one of those four. Then does the pricing war start where they kind of are, well, we're giving you this information alongside market data, alongside research. You know what? We're going to have to charge a 5% extra this year and then 10% the next year and yada, 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 because you need to have ESG incorporated into your space, perhaps from a regulatory perspective, but certainly from an investment demand perspective. That's not happening right now, but that's the big concern. Right. I mean, it, it can still take, uh, as Max pointed out in his piece, it, it will take, still take a while before vendors can actually exploit that pricing power, right? If if they want to, and I, I'm guessing in the future they will want to. Um, but one of the reasons is that while ESG data does not really resemble financial data at this point, so like pricing it is is mm-hmm. going to be difficult or uh, they can't they can't uh, use the same pricing models, I guess, uh, mm-hmm. that they do on current market data and reference data. So, yeah. Yeah. So it, it's just going to it's going to change the landscape because you again, if what Bloomberg is saying, if, they, if that Bloomberg figure, I can't remember which uh, entity of Bloomberg, they have so many different entities. Uh, but intelligence. Bloomer Intelligence. Uh, so they said, uh, I think it was something like a third of all global assets under management are going to be linked to ESG or something around that. Then suddenly there's a lot of money and you better be ready for entering into the space. So you have to get savvier as a buy side firm. So if if they can take some of the heavy lifting, if, if, if these big data providers can take some of that heavy lifting off of your plate and then you kind of sniper and target, pick and choose these other little data providers that can provide you very, very specific data sets around certain factors under that ESG umbrella, that'll be good for them. And so, yeah, um, again, it's 4,000 words. I think it's definitely worth reading. Um, You know, it's, it's, it'll take you a little while, but uh, it's (laughs) definitely stuff. He he talked to a lot of people for that story. So very good. And the other story then that I, that we should definitely highlight, I think is a topic near and dear to my heart. (laughs) interoperability anybody who's listened to this podcast anybody who reads my weekly ish column um the waters wrap on waterstechnology.com rate subscribe you know all that kind of stuff um but you know that my favorite topic is interoperability and the leading vendor and so there's many different kinds of interoperability that you can talk about but this is specific to um, kind of open source interoperability. So open source um, partnerships and standards that can, because it's open source, it 
and because you're creating a common set of standards, it allows everybody to be working on kind of the same plane. And so you can do, you can build your own unique tools and functionality, but the, the, the foundation is built around, in this case, something called FDC3. Yep. FDC3, which I can't remember what that right. stands for. <laughs> no, no, I just want to say it clearly in case, you know, I'm slurring or something like that. Um, <laughs> so it's a common set of standards that everybody has agreed upon. You know, we're going to use this and then we're going to build off of it and we're going to create our own functionality and stuff like that. This was created, founded by OpenFin. Um, and, you know, it's, it's really impressive what they did with OpenFin, what they were building even before FDC 3 launch. And then with this, and then through that, um, again, this is a 3,000 word article that Reb Natal, uh, Reb Natal uh, wrote about, but uh, Finos got involved, um, mm. which used to be the Symphony Foundation. There's it's a bit confusing. I'm just not yeah. going to get into it here. Read the story again. Subscribe. You know, if not, <laughs> then I'm just going to give you the ground floor of this. Um, but in my opinion, interoperability has and this specific kind of interoperability. I think that this specific kind of interoperability can truly revolutionize the trading ecosystem, the trading platform ecosystem, because if you can truly take best of breed and you can really kind of connect in um, various different applications from other vendors and other data providers into your OMS, rather than having this closed off monolithic OMS or EMS or whatever have you, mm. that can change the paradigm of, of trading, of, of a trading system. And so you're seeing a lot of cool projects that are coming out through OpenFin, and then they have, there's two competing firms, but these firms, they compete, but they also work together. Yeah. Um, Glue42, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Cosaic used to be known as Glue42. They had to re, they changed their name, uh, rebrand mm, themselves. Chart IQ, you mean? Yeah, Chart IQ, yeah, I'm sorry. So Glue42 was Tick42. Yes. They rebranded themselves as Glue42, and... <laughs> Chart IQ. It's later. <laughs> it's it's literally one in the morning here. Okay, um, I've only had one beer. It's just I'm just tired. But um, then you have I'm sorry. So you have Cosaic and Chart IQ and Finsemble. So Chart so Cosaic is made up of Finsemble, the interoperability, and then Chart IQ, the charting software. Anyway, these three companies: Cosaic, Glue42, OpenFin. They're competitors. And they also work together in the same space um, under, you know, through the FDC3 and through the Finos um, consortium, yep. which includes many of the largest banks and yada, yada, yada. In order for interoperability to work, everybody has to have, you know, there has to be a good faith effort amongst everybody involved. So this story looks at with um, OpenFin's most recent uh, platform launch um, workspace. Right. Um, there were some, ch there was a, some changes made to the coding language that set off some maybe alarm bells, let's say, and then their participation in Finos, um, and in FTC three meetings has, and which is public record has gone significantly down if you compare it to last year. Mm. So Mazidar told Rebecca, um, and 
Mitra Rocknabadi, um, who's also at OpenFin, um, they said, no, we're still 100% all about FTC3. We're still supporters of Finos. That's what they're saying. And as I said in my column last week, I'll choose to believe that. You know, I'm, I'm a, I, I respect the holy hell out of Mozzie and everything that he's built at OpenFin. Um, I think it's really cool what they're doing. So, you know, it, it it's just so I'm, I'm going to say, yes, this is 100%. What we're going to see is, does that change course? Is there a schism that happens over the next year where OpenFin does decide to go in a different direction? Or do they decide, no, we're staying here. We are all about this. And so there's a little bit of infighting. There's a little bit of that kind of going on with this. Um, and some people might be like, why write about this? But for me, it's important because A, interoperability, FTC3, what uh, Finos is doing with open source is important to the industry. It's important for progression of interoperability in the industry. And so there were some legitimate concerns brought up because of the coding and um, some of the words used in, in um, the work uh, space re release and their OpenFin's lack of uh, participation um, in these meetings. So, you know, this is kind of the way I view it is this is a state of the union of interoperability specific to FTC3. And here's what everybody had to say. And we'll check back a year from now and see where everybody's at again. We'll do a state of the union again a year from now and we'll see how it is. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting how I mean I've I've read Reb's story and it's it is amazing, and we've gotten really good feedback on it. Uh, you know, in the few days that it's been up, so I mean I'll definitely be linking the stories that we're talking about here today. But yeah, it is it is interesting to see how they have. Uh, I mean, in in terms of their participation and also in terms of like how they have, uh, I guess, marketed themselves, uh, or promote themselves, uh, you know, to to the likes of journalists <laughs> as well. So it, it's interesting to see how that has changed and how that is changing. So, well, as you said, we'll check in one year from now. Check or maybe even less than that. Yeah, so check oh, it out. Yeah, if there's, if there's another major change, and of course, uh, we'll report on that too, because that's what we do as reporters. Well, all we're doing is we, we don't have a dog in the fight. The end of the day mm. we're just trying to get, we're just trying to give information as to the state of play in a particular you know when a new company puts out a new product we write about that so that our readers can know what that what's happening with that new product if there's you know some concern in the industry over a particular topic we write about that which brings me to our third biggie of the week written by our very own wei shen wang and joanna wright um about non-display uh exchange data uh, right, is I don't know the exact way of like one's ESG, <laughs> one's interoperability. I'm not a hundred percent. This is market data, but I, I don't know how exactly to uh, to to nail it down. Let well, me see I guess if to I... sum it up, it would be yeah. Oh, okay, go for it. No, no, wait. You, you sum it up. Okay, well, it's about data licenses essentially, <laughs> and uh, the reporting relationships are oh, okay. Takeaway reporting. It's about the relationships that exchanges have with their end clients. Um, and typically they would have that relationships with the sell side already. You know, most of the sell side are already members of the exchange, right? Um, but this is going further than that, going to the buy side even, extending it to the buy side. So, and previously exchanges didn't have this relationship with them. They didn't know, they don't know, one, once they sell the data and it's out by the sell side, they have no idea what, uh, or they have no, they don't have as good an idea of how the end-end user is using because 
in, in many ways, that's because of algorithmic trainings. You're not sure. It used to be a human was using this data. You knew, okay, Frank over there is using it. Tom over there is using it. Sally over there is using it. Uh, Janice over there is not using it. So you knew. Now all of a sudden you got these bots and everything. Did you like the way that I made sure to go two and two there? I like in my head I had to do that calculation on my own, and that was not easy at you know one one o'clock in the morning. Um, but yeah, so now there are uh, bots and things like that, and you know, all these models are these these this data is feeding in the models, right? So that's what makes it a bit confusing. Yeah, yeah. So uh, so this is to do with non-display data, which we do get uh, uh, into a little bit in the in the, in the story. But uh, if I've, if I were to point it to just one point, it's really about the relationship and exchanges getting to know their end customers better. So we've seen the likes of um, the uh, Australian Securities Exchange actually set this up uh, with the help of uh, Data BP. Um, mm -hmm. So just to get that uh, reporting relationship and slash billing arrangement. So, I mean, in, in the past, for all data issues, everything was going through the big providers, right? Let's say Bloomberg's Refinitiv, or back then known as Reuters, uh, or the likes of like Active Financial or Iris. So, um, usually they would have uh, the the, the, they would have the the exchange would have the vendors report back to them how the end users were using the data. The data. It sounds like a very convoluted relationship somehow. You know, but let yeah. me put it to you this way. Let me let me, let me cut you off for our listeners. This is a very complicated subject, and <laughs> it is expertly explained in over three thousand words by <laughs> Wei Shen and Joanna. So, for you, what were if you had to say here are the two or three key takeaways for you? What was maybe most interesting there? Um, the most interesting part, I, I, and I'm just going to draw on this, uh, is that they actually just didn't have the complete picture of how their data was being used, or mm -hmm. how the data that, yeah, the data that, that they sell was being used. Um, mm -hmm. And that obviously has gotten a lot more complicated with um, applications or, or bots <laughs> using, mm -hmm. using some of the data, right? Some of these are run by machines and not by people anymore, or mm -hmm. maybe a little bit by people, but not entirely. So the, the whole rule of like, oh, we used to sell seats, that, that's kind of like yeah. gone. That seat could be a hundred different algorithms you with no idea. Um, so that has that is kind of changing a, a little bit uh, how the vendors are, um, uh, are ha have the part to play in, in this whole picture, basically. So I mean, I, I think that's pretty interesting, yeah. and there will be some other stories that come out from this too. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, so everybody should keep an eye on that space. Uh, Wei Shen and Joanne are working on another. Uh, they they become uh, the Batman and Robin. I don't know who's who. I won't I won't dare put a uh, you know a name on either one. You know, but uh, it's they're the, the dynamic duo right now of uh, teaming up on stories with uh, two and with third one coming. But I think uh, for me, uh, it, it what that was certainly interesting. I didn't know anything about it to be. I I didn't know as much about it. Um, and. You know, it reminded me that, as I understand, now I might have some of this wrong, but this is as best as I understand. But in like early 2000, there was a move to uh, direct feeds, and this disintermediated the vendors in the mm -hmm. sense that they had been the ones providing consolidated feeds. And the vendors still do this, but they had been collecting all the feeds from, you know, 
all the different exchanges, then suddenly the most popular exchanges were like, you know, ostensibly for lower latency, but really just because we can do it. You know, they were saying like, oh, no, do this because it's lower latency, but really they're doing it just because they can. They were throwing their weight around. Um, they could now sell their own data feeds direct to customers. So you don't need to go to Reuters and BBG feed with, or the Reuters feed with like 180 different exchanges on it. If you can really get the core of the five venues that you trade on directly from these five venues. So we can, you know, you just go directly to these five venues, lower latency, and we'll do this for you. And mm -hmm. so they kind of disintermediated the vendors there. Um, but then again, so the, this is the other interesting, the two other interesting things is that, so in some ways, this is just another way of the vendors create something or doing something cool and the exchange is saying, we can do this better. There's a different way of looking at this and saying that it's something that's more cyclical, cyclical. <laughs> um, we want to have a closer relationship with clients. So like once, you know, once that becomes, you know, so basically changing, we want to have a closer relationship with clients and it's a great idea. And then all of a sudden it's time consuming. It's labor intensive. You have to be innovative in this space. It, thus it can become potentially costly. And then all of a sudden they go and say, you know what vendors, while we can technically do this better than you, this is a headache. You take this off our plate. So in one ways it's, you know, it could be viewed as this is an example of exchanges and kind of what they did with uh, direct feeds. In other ways, this could be an example of exchanges saying we can do this better, but maybe you can. But do you really want to? Mm. And do they decide it's a bad idea later on? And then there's a third piece that I think is interesting is the exchanges are now buying up these data vendors, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, exactly. uh, LSEG, you know, you're seeing it, right? So in the end, I guess it it all comes home one way or the other. Um, so it's a little bit all over the place. Um, I think it's a very interesting story. I think you guys, you guys obviously did a great job with it. And it's actually out of the three stories, that one has been our most read. Now, granted, waterstechnology.com, bunch of market data nerds on that site. So that was that was just their bread and butter. They're like, yeah, come on. That's, that's mother's milk right there. You know, that's fantastic. <laughs> um but yeah so right now you guys are in the lead and and i don't anticipate like that one will definitely be the, the most popular and i'm sure that uh the second follow-up will be just as good it's interesting though that this this piece actually came up from our previous story you know with the mm -hmm. with, yeah so it's it's amazing how this this beast keeps feeding itself well let me put it to you this way though you know too much of a good thing and just like how you know you think friends was a good tv show and then they put out this special on hbo max this reunion and then you show. realize it was a good show my god why are we doing this right now in 2021 just the same way you know you got to be careful not to jump the shark you know <laughs> and i don't know if you get that reference it's a fonzie reference from happy days but i'm even sad that i get that i'm not that old but I'm, i did watch happy happy days as a child Anyway, I, I do remember Fonzie, but I don't remember his quote. So I, I hey, I vaguely remember. You know what? Fonzie and your favorite Friends character, Joey Tribbiani, are basically Joey Tribbiani was a '90s version of Fonzie, essentially. I love Joey. I love him so much. 
<laughs> but you know what? What I really uh, uh, for for this exchange story. I mean, because this is a market data issue, right? And uh, you know, in in the years that I, in five years that I've been at, with Waters Technology, I've uh, it's still a space that I am still trying to wrap my head around. Um, so when I was speaking to the different exchanges, uh, sources, consultants, and the like, I had to, you know, after each call, whether it was 15 minutes, 30 minutes, or an hour, my head was like spinning. And I'm like, oh, I don't know what's going on. Am I understanding this correctly? Is this even a story? And then, you know, just to send it over to Max, and he replies, mm -hmm. nice job. That yep. That was like, I mean... I that's like not. that's the pope giving you a blessing right there that's the, you're just like oh. if it's max bowie covering this this place the, the market data space specifically for two decades <laughs> if he's like nope you guys did well then you're like okay deep sigh of relief right there <laughs> <laughs> yeah because obviously joy and i were we had a few drafts back and forth and we were like okay i think we we're good sentence to max now hopefully fingers crossed i mean it sounds good to us it looks good to us but you know if if the market data guru says no then he says no so we're like yeah. okay okay let's pray that he says yes and he said yes and it was like oh my thoughts and my words are, have been validated yeah. it felt oh so no i would <laughs> I refused to even look at the story until Max had looked at it. I was like, I could, I was like, there's no way I would know if this is on point, like interoperability, ESG, these things I've been covering for a long, market data. I'm like, this is why we have Max Bowie, baby. He's, you know, you just feed over him. And if he, he's like uh, those, those, em, those Roman emperors, they would hold out their thumb sideways and, you know, up they get to live down. You got to kill him. <laughs> That's basically you hand it to him. And if he goes down, we're spiking the story. If he says up, we're publishing it. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> Yay! So we got the thumbs up for this this round. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> oh, okay. Finishes off here. T. <laughs> all right. Goodbye, everybody. <laughs> bleep, bleep, bleep. That's all, folks. <laughs> Is that Bugs Bunny? No, it's not. Yes, that was Bugs. Well, yeah, it's Bugs Bunny. What? What? Bleep, no, no, yeah, that must have been Elmer Fudd. What? That was at the end, though, of Bugs Bunny. It was at the end of Looney Tunes. Who said it though? Mm -hmm. Are Elmer, we still, I, still I don't know. Running with yeah. this? No, we're gonna cut this out. But uh... <laughs> I mean, we should leave it in. I think, but yeah, you know, let's wrap Every this up. Every time I say we're gonna cut this out, you say we'll leave it in. I say <laughs> leave it in. But all right, everybody, we'll be back here next week, hopefully with a guest, so you don't have to listen to us. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Till next week. Bye.